in Genesis chapter 18 is where if you got your Bible I'd like for you to turn Genesis chapter 18 uh, I want to talk to you about uh, a particular section of scripture verses 16 to 33 but I want to give you the, 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 the background or give you a kind of the, the context of the account here of Abraham and Sarah and um, as we talk about this, this promise of an intimate pattern of prayer, the, the ministry of intercession, the ministry of intercession is again for all disciples. Genesis chapter 18, the situation here is if we were to read back in Genesis chapter 17, um, well actually ever since Genesis chapter 12 is where God called Abraham or Abram was his name then, Abram and, and Sarai, called them out of a pagan country. And uh, interesting enough, there is some indication that uh, Abram and, um, was from an Amorite background and that Sarai was from a Hittite background. And that their names were something, were, were connected to those cultures. And so uh, God called them out of uh, a, a pagan land and said, I'm going to show you a land that I'm going to give to you. So this happened back in chapter 12. And all through the, those chapters, God has been slowly revealing himself more and more to Abram. Slowly, more and more. Trying to show him who he is. And Abram has, again, uh, been learning who God is. And Abram has always been willing. He has a humble heart. He's always listening to God. And he makes a lot of mistakes and he sins and he, and he does the wrong thing but he is always willing to come back and, and, he's, and he submits himself to God surrenders himself to God and there's one time when God makes a covenant with him and tells him that I'm going to make you a great nation I'm going to uh, and he doesn't tell him all the specifics about the Messiah but he says I'm going to make you into a great nation and um, he says uh, Something to the fact that, uh, you know, count, look at the stars. You can see, if you, if you could count the stars, which you can't, I'm going to give you as many descendants as all the stars. And then it says that Abraham, or Abram, excuse me, believed him, believed God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. So he like believed. He believed what the Lord said. And the Lord, you know, there was a relationship growing between God and Abram. And it's really interesting because uh, Abram was 75 years old when God first called him. And so, and he promised him that he would make him into a mighty nation. And there's no, there's no child. Uh, Sarah is, or Sarai is, is barren and there's no child. And so they're getting old. You know, and they're wondering, like, what, you know, what's God doing? And, and you know some of the history where they try to take things, matters in their own hand, and, and uh, they, have a, they have a child through Sarah's handmaiden, Hagar, you know. And um, Ishmael was born, and that wasn't what God had in mind. That was one of those mistakes. That's one of those blunders on Abraham's part, Abram's part. Well, there came a, a, a in chapter 17, another time, when God revealed himself to Abram and that's where he changed his name. He said, you're no longer Abram, you're now Abraham. And Abraham means, of course, father of multitudes or father of many nations. And he said this, he said, and you, and it was a commandment actually, he says, and you are to no longer call Sarai, Sarai, you're to call her Sarah. And uh, it was a command saying that uh, you will call your wife Sarah because she's going to be the mother 
of many, the mother of nations also. Interesting, that was a time when God revealed himself in chapter 17. Uh, he revealed himself um, another aspect of his, of his character, of his nature, of who he is. He, for the first time, we, we see he's revealed as El Shaddai. El Shaddai. He, um, Abram didn't know God as Yahweh. Uh, Yahweh was first introduced to Moses at the burning bush. You know, I am that I am, the self-existent one. But God revealed to Abram that I'm El Shaddai. I'm the Almighty. I'm the Almighty One. And so and that was the first revelation of God's name there to, to Abram. Chapter 18. That's where we're going to begin. And let me just tell you the first half of the chapter, and then we're going to cut in about verse 16, okay? So Abram, Abraham and Sarah, they're in their tents, and Abraham's outside his tent. It's a hot day, and he sees three strangers coming, three, three people coming. Now, Abraham and Sarah, they were extremely hospitable. I mean, the people of the, of the East, they're very hospitable, but Abraham and Sarah were except, exceptionally hospitable. They just had that gift of hospitality. And Abraham runs to meet them. Didn't know who they were. And uh, wanted to, you know, take care of them. And said, you know, uh, rest here a while. Sit under the tree. And let me, let me go and fix you a meal. And so he goes through all that. You know, he, he takes care of all them. He goes to Sarah and said, make some bread, please. And then he goes, to, goes to, um, out to the, out to the uh, field and gets a, gets a calf. And he... Um, and he and has a servant prepared that anyway. He feeds the he feeds the three guests, and suddenly uh, one of the guests says, "You're going to have a child next year at this time." Your wife Sarah, who Sarah was in the tent and she was overhearing the conversation. She never even came out. They didn't. But this stranger knew about Sarah and said, "Sarah's going to have a child next year." And Sarah didn't didn't out loud. But in her spirit, she just chuckled. Huh, yeah, right. I'm, I'm 90 years old. And uh, Abraham, my husband, he's 99. I mean, yeah, right. And uh, the stranger immediately said, why did, why did Sarah laugh? And, uh, you know, because is anything too hard for the Lord? And so he just assures them that next year at this time, when I come back, you will have a child. And he'd already told him he was supposed to name him Isaac which means laughter. <laughs> now, this is where we cut in on the story, on the account. It's not just a story. It's not a fairy tale. This is an actual historical account. In verse 16. So when the men got up to leave, because meal's over, it's time to go, they looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. And then the Lord said, and by this time Abraham knew this was the Lord because he'd already been, you know, he, he, found, he, he knew that, that this was, this was the Lord. This was, he was, this was a special um, experience that he was having with the Lord. The Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation and all the nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous 
that I will go down and see what, what, uh, if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. The men turned, of course the two, the two angels, the men turned away and went towards Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. It's interesting. He's standing before the Lord. All the other times he was on his face. Other, the other encounters. But this time he's standing before the Lord. Something was changing in their relationship. Then Abraham approached him. Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What, what if there are 50 righteous people in this city? Will, will you really sweep it away and not spare um, the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing. To kill the righteous with the wicked. Treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? And the Lord said, If I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Then Abraham spoke up again. Now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of the righteous is five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city for the lack of five people? If I find 45 there, he said, I will, I will not destroy it. And once again, he spoke to him. And what, what if only 40 are found there? He said, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. What if only 30 can be found there? And he answered, I will not do it if I can find 30 there. Abraham said, now that I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, what if only 20 can be found there? And he said, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. And then he said, May the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only ten can be found there? And he answered, For the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. And when the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left, and Abraham returned home. Learning, as we continue understanding, trying to discover how intercession, the ministry, the prayer of intercession works in our life. Um, it's a learning process for us. Prayer is a learning process. Learning is a peculiar thing, isn't it? Someone once said, I heard many, many years ago, they said that, uh, that uh, you truly know that you've learned something not because you can remember it, but because you can't forget it. I think that's an interesting twist on things that you really know when you've really learned something. It's not, not because you're able to remember, but it actually is because you're unable to forget it. It's so, it has impacted you so much. Um, but learning is a peculiar activity for each of us. You know, I, we tend to have different learning styles. Uh, some folks say, uh, as I've studied this, uh, I remember growing up, uh, I mean, growing up with our kids, uh, teaching them at home. Uh, Becky and I, we had to learn about learning styles uh, because all of our kids were different and so tried to figure out how they would best best learn um, but some folks say there's four some say there's seven some say there's eight and in fact if there's some I guess they even say there's twelve and uh, I tell you, I don't want to get that complicated but uh, I did today but just for the sake of simplicity let's let's briefly look at four different learning styles because I think it's important for us if we're really serious about learning about intercessory prayer we have to realize a lot of times how we how we learn um, some of us are more visual learners. That's, that's, that's one way that people learn. Uh, that's probably the traditional way. We, we read things and we absorb the information in that manner. Uh, others are auditory learners. We retain information better by simply listening to it being read or played, you know, on our, on a, you know, on a C CD or what, you know, what, 
whatever pl- played back to us in some some way. So others are, you know, uh, kinesthetic learners. They they which means hands-on learning. They people learn best when they are maybe not just reading, but they're also doing. Uh, I remember coming home one day and uh, when the kids were real young and, and the whole living room was transformed into the inner ear. <laughs> there was all these different, the, the pillow was the you know, cochlea and there, there was an ear canal and there was an eardrum and, 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 and Becky was trying to go through showing them all the different parts of the, of the ear. And uh, they were hands-on, you know. Put the pillow where the eardrum is or whatever they would do. But I remember uh, uh, hearing an account where a man said that uh, there was a fellow who, a little boy who just could not learn his alphabet. And so he went out and bought a magnetic letter set. And when the little boy could actually feel the letter and look at it and put it in the slot, then he learned his, he learned his alphabet because he was a hands-on learner type person. And again, um, lastly, just reading and writing learners. Uh, some seem to learn better when they put what they read on paper in their own words. They read it and they rewrite it in their own words. You know, I, I know uh, we have a lot of excellent teachers in our congregation that could have done a lot better job than what I just did <laughs> on explaining um, those learning styles. So thank you for, uh, you know, uh, pay, having patience with me, you teachers. But uh, I wanted to simply point out that learning is a unique experience for each of us. Each of us have a different way of learning, I'm, I'm sure. And maybe we, maybe we incorporate actually portions of all those styles at times in our lives, but learning is how to pray, uh, or I should say learning how to pray effectively requires the full gamut of all of our learning skills, um, as, as anything does that's important to do. And prayer is a learning activity. Um, knowing God is a learning activity. You're learning more who He is and then that experience he, he reveals Himself just like Abraham you know, got to know God better and better and better. We're going to see that as we work through this. So uh, if it wasn't a learning experience then why did the disciples, you know, they asked Jesus, Lord teach us to pray. When they heard Jesus praying they said, Lord teach us we, we need to learn how to pray like you pray. To pray meaningful and effectively. Um, they needed, yes, they needed, you know, this extra information that Jesus provided that we've gone through in the weeks, you know, prior weeks here. But, but they would also require, listen, success, they were, uh, it requires practice. Once you have information, you have to put it into practice, right? You have to start practicing it. And guess what? There's some days you succeed and some days you fail. Some days you think, man, I'm just not getting this. Uh, there's sometimes you, you know, there's, especially with prayer, there is something called a character development that is involved as we learn to know God and as he reveals himself to us and a spiritual truth is revealed to us from the word of God as it makes sense to us and that as it's just not words on a page but all of a sudden it becomes a living word within us we're learning spiritual concepts. We're learning spiritual truths. It's a learning process. And again, like all learned skills, uh, prayer is this learning activity. And I tell you, we live in a culture, loved ones, where uh, everything is instant, instant, instant. Everything is a, uh, instant with the least amount of inconvenience and struggle on our parts. 
I tell you, we're just surrounded by that kind of a, a, a culture. But life just isn't that way, even in 2023. Meaningful skills require knowledge, practice, and maturity. It requires knowledge, practice, and maturity. And so does prayer. The type of prayer that our Heavenly Father wants us to experience with Him is, is learned, listen to me, piece by piece. It's learned. He doesn't just, you just don't learn everything all at once. You learn things piece by piece. One piece of information is mortared, if you will, with another piece of practice and then another piece of information held together by some strong reinforcement of the, your faith that you're learning and the character of God that is being built within you. It's just something that happens as you practice God's word as you practice the truth daily is just it just all of a sudden things start to be built in your life in your spirit meaningful effective prayer in all of its expressions is a process of learning listening and practicing as the Holy Spirit gently enlightens your soul brings maturity to the surface meaningful prayer is not just in reading and listening to a book about about it on the outside but ultimately when it becomes an expression of your soul from the inside. It's like an artist. A person who wants to learn how to paint. They can go to an art class. They can go to an art class and they, and they can learn perspective. They can learn brush strokes. They can learn all these things. I think about colors. Okay. That's, they can learn that on the outside. But you will not become a real artist until painting means so much to you that it kind of becomes an expression of who you are. And loved one, that's when prayer becomes meaningful. It's just not about principles and it's just, it's just not about prayer books and things you read in books. It's when you begin to practice what you read and then the Holy Spirit makes it fit you. You learn as you listen to him. He, he's a teacher. He's a guide. He shows you how to feel his heart. How, how can you how to, how to pray with, for somebody with compassion because you actually feel the heart of God, his compassion toward that person. Intercession, again, is a, a prayer tool that, that gets things done for those who need our help to experience the power and love of God. It's, it's also something we learn, again, of course, in our heads, but it changes us when it is expressed through every fiber of our being. And again, we've already talked about how it means representing someone, uh, their spiritual need before God or standing in the gap for somebody because uh, God and a needy person needs to have a meeting. And so we're trying to request a meeting for, uh, for the person who needs to meet the Lord. Um, one of the first examples of intercession in the scriptures is seen right here, what we read in Genesis chapter 18. Again, Abram, Ham, and Sarah they uh, they were been walking with the Lord for like 24, maybe 25 years, and uh, Abram had this this heart of faith toward God. And over the years, he drew closer to God, until we finally come to this place in Genesis 18, where the Lord and two angels came to visit Abraham and Sarah. 
Abraham didn't know, again, who these three strangers were at first, but he offered the best hospitality with food and fellowship. And late in the afternoon, the three guests rose and they began walking towards Sodom as, as Abraham walked along with them. He knew one of them was the Lord and he was walking along with them. And then something remarkable happened. God asked a question. God said, shall I hide from Abraham what uh, I'm getting ready to do? And basically, I'll paraphrase it here. He said, Abraham has promised that he is going to follow and he will follow my ways. I mean, I've had 25 years to get to know Abraham. And there's another trial coming pretty soon where he's going to have to offer up Isaac. But that's, that's, that's going to be the kind of the, the final thing where Abraham's heart is just so, so glued, so cemented in the Lord that, that, that there's, uh, the Lord uses that lesson of Isaac to teach about the coming Messiah. That's another lesson. But, but uh, the Lord knows Abraham, and Abraham has become his friend. And there's a couple places in Scripture where it talks about how that Abraham and God were friends. And Isaiah, as well as James, I think it's chapter 2, verse 23, talks about how that, that Abraham and God were friends. And so he's saying, uh, shouldn't I share here uh, with Abraham what I'm about to do? Uh, because he's going to raise his family. He's going to do his best to instill the ways of the Lord in his family. He's going to, he's going to do his best to make what is wrong right in my sight. So therefore, he's one with me, is what the Lord is saying. He's, he's one with me. Um, we're, we're friends. So I'm going to tell him what I'm going to do. <laughs> God felt like this obligation to share his plans with Abraham. And of course, Jesus in John 15, 15 tells us that we're his friends. Amen that we're his friends. And so we're friends with God as well. So the Lord, he expresses this. He says, um, he expresses why, again, why he's sharing because he can trust Abraham and that he's quite fond of Abraham just as he, the Heavenly Father, is fond of us as well. And then God said that the outcry, listen to what he says, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin is so grievous that, that he had come down to examine it himself to see if it was as bad as what he had heard. Now we all know of course God is omniscient and he is omnipresent and he is omnipotent so that we know God knew what was going on in Sodom. He's not like He's not like blind to this, but he's trying to help Abraham understand. He's, you know, God doesn't tell us everything about himself. He works with us in, in pieces that, that, we, that we will get to know him better. And so he was helping Abraham to learn something about, about, uh, about God as, as well. You might say, what kind of outcries did God hear? What kind of outcries that had come to God's attention? Well, first of all, of course, is the outcry of his holy justice. God has justice, and, and uh, there's the, that outcry. There's the outcry of the angelic beings who were, who were watching all of this wickedness going on in Sodom and Gomorrah. And it was, it was uh, injustice, the Bible tells us. There was a lot of evil. There was just terrible evil there, and, of course, sexual immorality. The other thing was, of course, the, the violence uh, and the murder of people there. Um, 
people, if there was that kind of evil, that kind of injustice, that kind of immor- uh, sexual immorality, there were people being abused. There were people being murdered. People, there was all kinds of violence there. And so there was, there was victims uh, who were crying out. And also the Bible tells us that even creation itself, when there's such wickedness in a place, that even creation itself cries out. It groans. The Bible says that God's present creation groans, waiting, longing for the day when Jesus comes back and changes all of this and takes away all the wickedness and creates a new earth where there's no longer any more trouble or heartbreak or, or tornadoes or hurricanes or earthquakes or the things that, that destroy us. So those were the outcries. Well, there's again been this marked progression of learning in Abraham's relationship with El Shaddai uh, in those previous encounters you can read about it where Abraham is on his face worshiping the Lord. In this situation, he's not on his face, but he is standing. He's standing uh, tall, not in arrogance, but as a representative for someone else. And probably he's thinking about Lot and his family because remember his nephew Lot chose a few chapters back to go live in Sodom. Because it it's a rich place. It was a great place to live. Uh, but it was quite wicked. So there is this, uh, there's is more of a sense of trust and intimacy that Abraham has now with God. And so that's why he's standing. There's more of a, a trust, a confidence, and assurance that I know more who he is. And again, there's no disrespect there. He's just has built a relationship. And he says, Lord, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Uh, will God treat the righteous like he does the wicked? What if there are only 50 righteous? Will you spare, spare the place for the sake of 50? Now again, Abraham's not being irreverent or disrespectful, but he's trying, and he's, he's not trying to tell God his business. He's not trying to tell God how to do his business. That's the neat thing about it is that God's not even offended at all. This, this tells you this is something that God is working in Abraham. He is working and he's happy with what he sees Abraham doing. <laughs> something is happening in Abraham's life. And so he encourages this, this conversation. Uh, God welcomes this interaction here, which is really astounding. God has invited the conversation. Before God, um, again, he appeared to Abraham in mysterious ways. Now he's appeared in a human form, eaten a meal with him, and had fellowship with him, and invited Abraham's comments about God's plan here. So there's definitely this progression of relationship. Again, he's not being too familiar or irreverent. And... God says, for the sake of 50, I will, not, I, I, I will spare the whole place. And then amazingly, Abraham continues to, listen to this, specifically, and loved ones, this is something that we're going to learn in intercession, is that what, what, di- what differentiates intercession from just general prayer is that you get very specific with what you want God to do. Very specific. And the reason why it's because you have been in His presence. You are allowing the Holy Spirit to minister to you as you endeavor to know the mind of God and you begin to speak specifics about what you want the Lord to do. And He asked God to spare the city for fewer and fewer numbers of righteous people. 45, 40, 30, 20, 10. And each time God said He would spare the towns. Think about that. 
Think about that. For the sake of only ten righteous, God would hold back judgment upon thousands who were ripe for judgment. Now just ponder that for a little bit. For the sake of ten, he's willing to hold back judgment. That tells you something. They have God, uh, the kind of the the kind of uh, status, the the kind of uh, elevation, the the kind of uh, assessment that God puts on His people. But once God and Abraham again, they were becoming good friends, and He had chosen and called Abraham to Himself to know Him intimately, fulfill the purpose God had uh, had upon His life. And in humility, Abraham is conversing with God. He's not questioning God's integrity. He's not acting like he has some sort of superior morality or superior compassion. He's not trying to bargain with God. He's not trying to get God to lower his standard of justice and holiness or, to, or, to, or just to cut the ungodly some slack. He's thinking through whom he knows God to be. Did you hear what I just said? Abraham again, had a relationship with God and he was thinking through whom he had discovered God to be. Lord Almighty, you know, I know who you are, so your mercy is so great. Will you spare the wicked for the sake of ten righteous who are within their midst? That's the foundation of intercession. Will you spare the wicked for the sake of the righteous there? Something amazing is happening for the first time that we, we know of in human history here. God has a man who is actually concerned for more than his own welfare. Sure, he's concerned for Lot and his family, but he's also concerned for the wicked. Isn't that something? Abraham's concerned for the wicked here. He is standing in the gap for Sodom. It's amazing. He isn't so much asking God to spare ten righteous people. He's asking God to spare all of Sodom for the sake of ten righteous people. Another way of saying it is this way. If you look up that word for the sake of, here's another way of of saying that. By virtue of ten righteous people, will you spare Sodom? Lord, This is what God's been after all the while is working in Abraham an example of being an intercessor, an example for us. And God called Abraham again to be a blessing to the entire world and Abraham was exemplifying the love of God that was expressed in his future offspring in the attitude of Christ who would die for us while we were yet sinners. <laughs> Abraham again was reflecting this, the heart of God through this intercessory prayer and it was, a, it was kind of a, a, a result of his relationship that was growing in the Lord over the last 24 years. He knows how God thinks. And so he is talking to God about how he thinks. Loved ones, how, how do we learn? How do we learn and grow in this thing the Lord has revealed as intercession? How do we, how do we learn it? 
You say, PD, how do I become a, a better at intercessory prayer? How do I can be, get better at setting up appointments for people to encounter God in prayer? I think one way we do it, loved ones, is by sanding away, if you will, the spiritual tarnish on our souls. We, by spiritually, it's, 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 a, it's a spiritual act that the Lord will help us to know how to do it, how to, how to sand away this spiritual tarnish that covers our souls. Uh, my brother-in-law um, built a log cabin a few years ago and, and he failed to stain it immediately. You know, it requires stain on the outside and also a wood preservative. And he failed to do that. Matter of fact, he allowed a few winters to pass. And um, I don't know if you know anything about wood, but when untreated wood is exposed to the weather, it no longer is brown it turns gray. It gets covered with this gray. It's kind of dull and not very beautiful. It's kind of ugly. It's not very, not very becoming at all. Well, that entire cabin had become like that. And uh, my brother-in-law wanted me to sand it off. He said, would you do that? Would you? He got me a, a special sander, a, a disc sander, and, and, uh, and uh, a lift, because it had to be lifted up to this thing, you know. And so uh, for hours and hours and hours, I was sanding off this gray tarnish that was, that was on this log cabin. And um, as soon as I got that gray tarnish off, finally, after several days, I applied the, pres the uh, pr preserving stain to reveal the beauty of that wood. And that was nine years ago, and it still looks great. <laughs> Intercession first begins by removing the tarnish of thinking God is indifferent to the needs of people. Loved ones. We're going along with God and we think everything is okay with us and we know we're supposed to pray for people but you know, does God really care about that situation? And, and um, in fact, actually, I care but I don't care that much either. And intercession is that thing where you say, Lord, take away that tarnish where I know I can't it's kind of like, it's kind of like you know, the old starfish illustration. It's the little boy that was trying to save the starfish that had washed up on the beach. There was thousands of them. And he was trying to pick up the starfish and throw them back in the, in the, in the ocean to, to save them from death. You know the illustration. And somebody asked him, the old man says, you know, why are you doing that? Uh, it doesn't matter. You know, the, these are all going to perish. And the little boy said, it matters to this one. And he threw it back in. It's the same way with us. I don't know um, all God wants to do in someone's life, but it, I'll never know if I think God doesn't care about it. If I have this spiritual, if you will, fog that settles down on my life where I think, oh, God doesn't care about anything. We're just waiting to get to heaven. You know? That you'll, you'll never be an intercessor for, for Sodom if you think God doesn't care. I mean, look at, look, at Port, look at Jonah. He was hoping God would destroy him. You know, that city of Nineveh. Uh, yeah. And so we have to, have to take this, have to ask the Lord, Lord, I need to grow in my relationship with you where I, I realize that 
You do care about people all around me. Yeah, the, the people who are, who are making terrible mistakes in their life. Yes, my family member that, you know, is so cantankerous and mean or what, whatever the situation is, you know, where, yes, I can't, I can't save everybody or I can't pray for everybody. But Lord, would you help me? Would you, would you do what is necessary in me uh, today, tomorrow, whenever it is? I'm going to keep asking you to do it until it happens where suddenly I become like Abraham. Well, all of a sudden, I, hmm, I'm concerned for the wicked in Sodom. <laughs> Would you do that work, Lord, in me where I, I'm actually, I'm really burdened for that particular neighbor, I'm for that particular son or daughter. I'm burdened for them. And I know we can't be burdened for, you know, for, you know, we have all of our limits. God has, he has things, he, people we, he wants us to pray for. But um, we're going to learn next week that, that sometimes our prayers are so general they, they really don't hit any targets. You know, Lord, you know, save the people in India. You know, that's kind of pretty general, you know. But if you learn some information about India, <laughs> find out maybe some missionaries there or things that they're doing, and then you can maybe aim your, aim your arrow, aim your, aim your weapon, your prayer weapon a little bit more direct. That's called intercession. Where you're learning more things. I'm asking you, Lord, specifically. Abraham, that's what he did. He said, you know, 50, 45, 40. You know, he was, he was asking specific numbers. I hope you see what I'm trying to say today. That this spiritual tarnish on our hearts is that we think God is indifferent to the crises in our families or the crises in our, in our, in our, in our culture. He's not. But we have to believe that He's not. We have to know in our hearts that He's not. And when you know that, I tell you, it'll change your attitude toward people. You'll, you won't be so harsh about people you'll see that they're just like sheep without a shepherd or they're like, they're just goats that are wandering around not knowing their right hand from their left, spiritually, you know? So I think the first step for us, Tim Stafford, right, as we, as we close today, as we leave today, Tim Stafford writes this. He says, uh, we do not pray to tell God what he does not know nor to remind him of things that he has forgotten. He already cares for the things we pray about. He has simply been waiting for us to care about them with him. <laughs> when we pray, we stand by God and look with him toward those people and problems. Did you hear that? When we pray, we stand by God like Abraham did. And look with him, with God, toward those people and problems. So the first step of intercession is to sincerely open your heart to God and ask him to help you to care about others like he cares. Amen. Now, Father, as we, we ponder these things, as we think about these things, we pray that they will not evaporate from our minds as we exit the door today. 
where they just won't leave us and wait wait till next Sunday. But I, I pray that, that your spirit for those who have a hunger to really learn what intercessory prayer is and to be intercessors, to be connected to you in such a way that they're setting up appointments for people to meet God, to meet you. I pray, Father, that we'll take this. We'll take this and, and that we'll just simply bow before you in our private devotion time and just ask you to take that tarnish off of our hearts that, that seems to, that, that we, of, in, of indifference or, or we even think that you're indifferent. But help us to see your heart, to see your compassion for people. Oh, we pray that you'll, you'll change us, that you'll make a difference in us. You, this will be another step of grace in our life, Lord, of becoming more like Jesus, who is the greatest of all intercessors for us. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.